open letter to the entire Christian community. His article, or really an appeal, starts like this. There is a serious problem within Protestant evangelical Christianity. We love right preaching and teaching more than we love right living. We love power and authority more than sacrifice and submission. We love honor over humility. We love being led by popular leaders who make us feel good more than following the despised and rejected one who has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He closes with this, We want King Saul over young David. Now, in full disclosure, he goes on to say that not all Christians are like this. But that there is enough, at least professing Christians, and the problem is bad enough that like Daniel of the Old Testament, we must, all of us, as professing Christians in our country and in this church, I call you to at least confess this and turn ourselves to the proper reading and praying and applying of God's Word. I don't think any of us can disagree with that. And I will admit (laughs) that this is a bit of a bummer way to start a sermon. This is not how you get taught to start many sermons in Bible college. But I do think I might have your attention. And if I have your attention, I want to ask you all three questions. And this is really the introduction to my sermon. This is what I want you to take with you through this entire thing. I hope it is what you wrestle with all day and maybe all week. I'm hoping that maybe even at your life groups these questions will come up. Number one... How are you doing spiritually? Now think about it. How are you doing spiritually? And here's what I mean by that and what I don't mean. I'm not asking what's happening in your life. I'm asking what's happening in your heart. How are you doing spiritually? When was the last time anybody asked you that? When was the last time you asked yourself that and really got honest? And how am I doing? And I don't mean in terms of a checklist. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I give a little bit. I read my Bible at least five out of seven days. I pray more than I don't pray. Those are all isms, things. Why do you do what you do? What's your motive? How do you see yourself? How do you see God? How do you see both your family, your friends, your co-workers, your enemies? Number two, how are you doing as a disciple of Jesus? So that obviously means, are you one? And if you claim to be one, how are you doing at being that? How are you doing at being a disciple of Jesus? In other words, how are you doing at being a Christ follower? You'll notice I didn't say, how are you doing at being a Christian? Because a Christian today, I think, has been a really watered-down word. I first learned this in one of my trips to Israel when I met a fellow believer in the city of Jerusalem. And I asked him how he was doing, and he was a missionary there. And he said, Steve, I've learned in this city, I never tell people I'm a Christian. Because that can mean any number of things. He says, I have to tell them, I am a follower of Christ. 
I am a disciple. And it's funny how 2,000 years later, he had to go back to a New Testament label. Number three, would you call yourself a disciple maker if you're a Christian or a follower of Christ? As you evaluate how you're doing spiritually, as you answer that question deep within your heart, am I really a Christ follower? Do I follow Jesus? And if you do, has that encounter, that relationship, so overwhelmingly affected you and transformed you that you can't help but spread that to others? That's why I wanted you to see that video. You see, that video wasn't about a gimmick or a program. That video was about people being so overwhelmingly affected by a relationship with Jesus that it oozed out of them in every part of their lives. And so we're learning about Jesus in John chapter 1, who He is. John 1, 1 to 18 tells us that Jesus is God. John goes even further and says, He is the creator of the universe. All things were made by Him and for Him. In John 1 to 18, we find out why did he come. We find out that Jesus came to display the glory of God the Father, to display God's love in the form of himself, Jesus. And he did so with grace and mercy. He came to announce a people for God, people that would be made right with God and adopted and given power and forgiven. And this word saved, which means restored, and then indwelt and then given a new name and a new task. And we see it in John 1, 35 to 42. So, the question that might follow these, how you answer these questions, how I ask you, what do you think of Jesus? What I'd love to know if I could, it is such an unnerving experience to stand here and look into the faces of human beings and make eye contact with people and as much as I know you or know of you, to be humbly understanding that I don't know what goes on behind your eyes. And you don't know what goes on behind mine. But Jesus does. And how do you respond to that? How do you respond? Now we've already seen that some believers, uh, some will believe and others will reject. But we'll see even in this, all are given the invitation. Plus, those who do believe and trust in Jesus, those who see Jesus for who He is and why He came, more than should... They can, or they're commanded to share Him. They cannot not share Him. And that's what I'd love to know. I'd love for people to know me, and I'd love to know people that have so met Jesus, you can't, can't not share Him. That's a double negative. You can't not share Him. That you're just overwhelmed to do it. And in this scene today, in John 1, 35-42, it's day three of our week of the Gospel. And let me tell you about our, 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 the actors in this scene. You've got John the Baptist, the rugged preacher. You've got the man who said and exampled, you don't make much of yourself if you know Jesus. You make much of Jesus if you know Jesus. And the mark of knowing Jesus, as we learned, is humility and patience and long-suffering. And... Wait a second. I've read that somewhere. Haven't I read that somewhere? John, that's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. It's in Galatians. I'm sure it's somewhere. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, look at this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love this sentence. Against such things there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus, now this is graphic, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Wouldn't that make sense? If you claim to live by the Spirit, then live how the Spirit would prompt you to live. If I claim to be married, shouldn't I act like it? Doesn't that just make sense? Like, that's not profound, is it? Like, that's just like, duh. Have you seen those commercials, the V8 commercials? Where someone says something obviously dumb and they just go, right? Like, just pop them right on the forehead. Isn't, isn't it make sense that if you say, I follow Jesus. Well, okay, then follow him. My grandfather in Harbor Grace used to say, it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. It's almost like the Bible makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) We meet John the Baptist. We meet the crowd. We meet Andrew. We meet John the Apostle for the first time in this passage, who is the writer of this book. And we meet Peter for the first time. So as we go to witnessing class here this morning, folks, let's review. Last week was witnessing 101, which is what is priority one? If you want to be a testimony, notice this. To be a true testimony for Jesus is more about Jesus and less about you. If you are a Christ follower, be more concerned with letting people know about what Jesus has done in your life than you bragging about your life. And way too many people spend way too many times, I have been in church too long and I'm too jaded and cynical, I've heard too many testimonies that are like auditions for a television series. Which is, oh, God saved you from this. Well, let me tell you what He saved me from. You did drugs. Well, I did horse tranquilizers. Like, and we're always one-upping each other in our testimonies. Rather than just let people see Jesus. I get to sing with my wife. My wife was here. And as you probably saw, we are as different in personality as two human beings can be. Because Deb is very contained, and I'm very not contained. All right? But I have a very different testimony than Debbie. I, I, my testimony is often something I'm ashamed of. The things that I've done, and yet Christ was so good to save me. But Debbie's testimony is one of trusting in Christ at a young age and just following Christ all of her life, making much of Christ. And I will tell you, as I became into ministry and would do things with teenagers and then college kids and became a pastor, do you know that every day that ticks by and every year I get older, I admire her testimony far more than anybody else's. Because hers is just a life of see Jesus. And we should want that. Don't write your story and make you the hero. Number one priority of of witnessing is Jesus has to be what it's all about. That means we talk more about Jesus and how Jesus in your life makes you different. I can't stand those testimonies that are an hour long and for 55 minutes they just rehearse all the sin and then say, and then Jesus saved me. No, 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 where where are those things where Jesus just comes into your life? Last week we learned the second priority of witnessing, which is this. To be a true testimony for Jesus is to actually tell people about Jesus. (laughs) That's a priority. If you know Him, tell other people about Him. If He's real to you, tell people about that. And today in this passage we see the third priority, that is this. To be a true testimony for Jesus is to care more for the person to know Jesus than to just give them information about Jesus. 
The third priority of being a witness is not just giving people a bunch of information about Jesus, like somehow we're Jesus encyclopedia salespeople, but rather wanting to present Jesus in relationship. J.M. Boyce, that Presbyterian preacher, put it like this, John bore witness to Jesus, but he did so not to unload a certain amount of information, but to lead others to believe in Jesus personally. This means that he had their life and destiny in view when he was witnessing. When you look at your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow students, do you see people that you want to win arguments with? Or do you see souls who desperately need Jesus like you do? That's where we need to be focused. And Calvary Baptist, you need to know my heart... <laughs> My heart beats this. this. I want it to be my life's thing that if you prick me, this is what I bleed. I'm learning and I'm seeing and I'm becoming more and more aware of the problem with church today and the issues with the church in St. John's, Newfoundland. And I've discovered in my two years since I've moved back to my home province that the problem with the church in Newfoundland is not government. It's not the decay of social issues. It's not the lack of programs or ministries or even facilities, but rather the disconnect we have with claiming to know Jesus, but effectively living like we don't. That's the problem. We are living like we're practical atheists. We talk and we sing. As you saw in my I love to sing. I can't sing enough. But if I, all I did was put on a great performance here today and everything that we did doesn't make a hill of beans a difference when you go out of here, what have we got? We're simply an overly committed Lions Club. In fact, my dear friend who took over my last ministry, I once heard him say this to the church I just left. He said, if church is your hobby, you have the lousiest of hobbies. Church has to be so much more than that. And so we cling to Jesus. But cling to Jesus more than he's like life insurance or fire insurance. Cling to Jesus more than he's just your heaven real estate broker. Cling to Jesus because he's our Lord and Savior. Do you ever listen to what David said in Psalm 18? In Psalm 18, this is how David begins this psalm. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now listen, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my rock. It's like he's got to just repeat himself in whom I can take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. Amen? Amen. Not bad. And when, by the way, when David says, saved from my enemies, he actually includes himself in that. Because God has saved him from himself. David was a man, the Old Testament tells us, after God's own heart. Have you ever really pondered that title for that dude? David was not a, man's, a, God, a man after God's own heart because he was perfect or because he was always obedient. He wasn't a man after God's own heart because of his wisdom or his power or even his accomplishments. If you study it out, he was a man after God's own heart for his faith. 
that succeed or fail, it was God to whom he ran. It was God to whom he submitted and trusted. And as a result, David was not only a witness, but the best type of witness. He could show you all of his faults and say, don't look at me, look at my Savior. That's what makes for a great witness. So let's go witnessing, or let's go to witnessing class. John chapter 1, 35 to 42. Here's what John the Apostle says, writing about himself now, he says, the next day, now if you follow in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, you begin a week. There's this day, the next day, the next day, the next day, and you get seven days from chapter 119 to chapter 211, all right? And that's important. So this is the next day, day three. John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said to these two disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. There was his witnessing persona. There was his program. Guys, there he is. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They used to follow John. John says, here's Jesus. And they go, okay, we'll follow him. And off they go. Jesus, verse 38, turned and saw them following and said to them, I love, what are you seeking? I don't know about you, but I know there's many times in my life I've gone to God and I've said, God, I'm looking for you. God, I need you. God, I don't have answers. And, and I've literally, through his word, through people, th- I've heard, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? <laughs> and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, if you had access to Jesus... And he was right there and he looks and says, what are you seeking? What would you blurt out? Have you ever had that when you've met someone that you know is either powerful or influential or famous or whatever like that? When I worked, before I got in the ministry, I worked for this company called Winners. And uh, I I was going to my first set of managers meetings and I got on the plane and I happened to get sat next to the owner of the company. At that time, before he sold the company to TJ uh, X, which is TJ X and TJ Marshalls and all those things. He uh, is a guy named David Margolis. And so I sit down to him. And at first, I don't even realize who I'm sitting next to. And as the plane takes off, I get up. And another person on the plane who I knew that was a manager says, do you know who you're sitting next to? I said, no. That's the owner of Winners. That's David Margolis. I'm like, go on. You know who it is? That's like your boss's 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 boss. He writes the checks. So now I'm all nervous. And I go, go back, and you, have you ever been so nervous and you want to go like, how are you, or it's a nice day, and then you blend it? How are nice day? Like you just really, like you just do something colossally, and you're like, how in the world did that come out? And so I went over, and I was all nervous, but I wanted to look confident because I wanted to impress the owner. How nice day? And I could see him look at me like. And he actually had a set of look that said, I, this has happened to him before. And so here are these disciples. Rabbi, where are you staying? (laughs) Notice Jesus in verse 39. And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And notice, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. Now if that's Roman time, that means it's actually 10 o'clock in the morning. If it's Jewish time, it's actually 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Either way, they spent time with Jesus. In verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So now we find out that one of the two is the disciple Andrew. And he was Simon Peter's brother. And notice, he first found. So when they go and they say, Rabbi, 
where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Andrew, before Andrew goes, he instantly goes to find his brother. He can't even go without first, because he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, or the son of Jonas. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And I want to know what stood out to you, what grabbed your attention. And I just want to quickly run you through four things. Witnessing 201. Number one, make Jesus known. Making Jesus known. So here we are at day three in our work of what I call recreation. If you ever look and parallel John chapter one and two to Genesis chapter one and two, in Genesis one you have a seven day week of the creation of humanity. But in John chapter one and two, you have a seven day week of the recreation of humanity in the gospel. Where Jesus makes himself known. God created the world and man blew it. So God sends his only son, Jesus, God in the flesh as the Savior and Messiah. And he doesn't blow it. And what's that expression? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John moves now, because earlier, last week in 29 to 34, he gave this general address to everybody listening. Behold the Lamb of God. But in our passage, in verse 35, he gives a very specific pointed address to two of his disciples. Guys, that's him. That's his testimony. And since this is witnessing 201, we might want to ask ourselves, all right, Pastor Steve, listen, I, I, I see you're worked up. I see you want us to be a witness and you want us to be a testimony. So how should I do it? I heard the priorities, that's great, they're markers, but in real life, How do I get out there? Now, some will tell you that you need to go to your friends and your family, even strangers, and you need to use the direct method. You just walk up to people and go, you need Jesus. And and there's been all types of ways that's done, right? You know, you, you proposition someone, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Or, you know, you you come up with someone, you're pumping gas, nice day. Yep, do you know who made the day? You you know, I'm sorry, my sarcasm's coming out because I find that the delivery system we have as Christians is often very cheesy and not real. Others will tell you you need this relationship way. It's kind of an indirect way. You know, the one thing we've all gotten out of this. So you, you, you go and you build a relationship with someone. You spend time with them. Remember the video I showed you last week where it talks about 40 cups of coffee? Where you just go out with people and you talk with them and you talk with them. Well, the truth is... John the Baptist did both. He both proclaimed it to anybody and everybody. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he's also very specific with two guys that he had a relationship. Guys, remember all the things we've been talking about? All the things I've been telling you about? This is him. Allow me to introduce you to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And you'll realize that he spoke to the crowds as well as individuals. You see, the one thing we've all got to get in this passage was John the Baptist isn't interested in followers for himself, but making Jesus known so that others will follow Jesus. If you want to be a witness and a testimony, just simply make Jesus known. Now, if you're like me, and I think some of you are, I'm weird and unique, but I don't think I'm completely void of comparisons. 
What do you do if someone says to you, what is it about Jesus that fascinates you? Why do you follow him? What do you say? What would you say? Well, for starters, why not? Well, because the Bible tells me he's the Lamb of God. He's the sinless Savior. And he died for my sin. And he's forgiven me. And he'll forgive anybody. Take the gospel we are studying, the gospel of John, and tell someone about how Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. You know, there are these I am statements all spread out through the gospel of John where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Then he claimed to be the gate by which people entered and he claimed to be, I am the good shepherd. In John 14, he said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. In John 15, he said, I am the true vine. And trust me, when I tell you, try this out and you'll soon discover that this stuff creates conversations. If you will dare to have these conversations with people simply by telling them what you've discovered. See, here's the problem. If all you are is a disseminator of information about Jesus, you will be immediately intimidated if you don't think someone you're talking to is interested in the information you have to tell them. But if you know Jesus, if you've met him, and he's your Savior... You will tell somebody about that and it doesn't matter if they're interested or not because you can't help but tell someone because it has made a difference in your life. And if you will do that because you've experienced that, you will be the most effective witness and testimony. Why not tell people about the book of Romans? People want to know, why do you go to church? Why are you so, so fascinated about Jesus? Why do you have all this? Well, because I know that Romans 3.23 tells me all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I know at least that's true of me. Because I'm a mess. And even when I try to keep it together, I can't. But then I read Romans 6.23 that tells me that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I found out that even though I'm a sinner, and even though death and taxes anybody will agree with, I found out that I can have eternal life with Jesus. And then Romans 5.8 explodes and tells me God shows his love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So now I know that even though I'm a mess, and even though I'm a screw-up, and even though even my attempts at goodness are still silly in the eyes of God, he loves me. And it's not about me. It's about his love for me. And then, then I can say, now, here's what I learned in Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone, notice that, not for some people or for most or for the ones who get the right formula. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, folks, listen, I'm sorry, man. Does that not excite you? Like... Really? There, there oh, praise God, Amy, uh, Mary's here. <laughs> but I want you to notice something. If you look at those verses, see, you'll need to live a life of faith that says this is true in your life. Not just information you have to pass out to sound smart. If this is true in your life, I promise you folks, you will have countless open doors to give other the words of life. And by the way, this there here 
doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. This doesn't matter if you grew up in church or you just walked into church today for the first time. It doesn't matter. So you make Jesus known. Step two, take the first step. Did you see that? See what I did there? Step two was take the first step. Okay? Follow along in the scene. These two, John the Apostle and Andrew, they leave John the Baptist and they go after Jesus. And as they do, Jesus turns and asks a very important question. What are you seeking? Why are you here? Why did you come to me? And if you've ever read the Bible, you will find that Jesus does this often. People will come to him with questions and things like that, and he'll answer questions with questions. He'll make a statement that just stops you cold. You think of the rich young ruler, right? We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. This rich young ruler comes in, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the law. And he says these things that just arrest us. And I don't want you to miss what the Apostle John wants us to see. That discipleship is defined in terms of fellowship with Jesus. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to spend time with him. Folks, you can't have Jesus without knowing him in relationship. This is the problem in the 21st century church of Canada, the United States. We dole out Jesus like he's something in a Cracker Jack box. Versus you got to know Jesus in relationship. He's not a lucky charm. He's not fire insurance. He's not your ticket into heaven. Jesus is the living Son of God, the Messiah that is the Christ. That's who He is. And John the Baptist shares Him and declares Him and points. But Andrew and John, they exercise their faith to be fully fruitful. See, they just didn't get all the information. They weren't walking with John and John says, there's Jesus. Well, that's good to know. Where are you going now? As soon as they know that that's Jesus, they leave John and they go to Him, Rabbi, Rabbi, where are you staying Andrew and John are fishermen, by the way, from Galilee. They have had their lives blown apart by the preaching of John the Baptist. But now in front of them is the one for whom they have read about or heard about at home on their boat with dad or in the synagogue. And as soon as they hear, behold the Lamb of God, they step up, step out, and step large. They go to Jesus with great respect and call him rabbi, which means teacher. And they hear that question, What are you looking for? And I want you to know why Jesus didn't ask them that because he didn't know. He wasn't having like, you know, a time. Why are you guys here? In fact, this guy Lenski writes it this way. The first word spoken by Jesus is a master's question. It bids them, John and Andrew, look searchingly in their innermost longings and desire because a hidden promise lies in the question. What are you seeking? Jesus has the highest treasure any man can seek. And he longs to direct our seeking toward that treasure in order that he may bestow it for our everlasting enrichment. And you will see this in three chapters in John 4 when that Samaritan woman is at the well and Jesus says, give me something to drink. And she's like, who are you talking to me? I'm an unveiled Samaritan. And he says, oh woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would actually tell me, ask me to give, give you drink because what I'm going to offer you, you'll never thirst again. See, this is what Jesus is doing. And you'll notice they ask again, where are you staying? Now, as you saw when I read it, you might be hard on these two and say, that's a dumb question. Really? Where are you staying? But you got to read between the lines. They're not asking just simply, Where are you staying as if, 
what's your address? They want to know, can, can we go with you? Can we be with you? We want to know you. We, we have so many questions. That's why I chose that song, I want to know you. I want to see your face. I want to touch you. I want to know your will. I want to, know, I want to spend time with you. And folks, listen, before I finish this up, what are the questions that you would like to ask Jesus? And don't tell me you don't have some. Because you do. Every one of you in this room have questions that you want to ask Jesus. Here's my thing. Ask Him. Go to Him in prayer. Open up His Word. Go to church. Get in a life group. Find Him. Go say to Him, Rabbi, where are you? St- where are you? And you will find him if you are desperately and urgently and passionately calling out to Jesus. I will tell you that anywhere and everywhere in the Bible, you will see this. He comes. And I love this because notice what he says in our passage. Come and see. Come and see. This was his invitation. Come and see. (laughs) Tasker, this uh, commentator says, is in fact bidding these men to do something more than discover where he's staying for the night. He's inviting them to come and gain from him an insight into the mind and purpose of God himself. Have, Have you ever longed for God and didn't then allow that longing to get shoved away by work or family or fears or peer pressure or whatever, and you've just simply doggedly pursued Him. If you have, I know what the answer to that question is. You will find Him. You will. Every time. And what happened that day and night? Before they even go, Andrew turns to number three, sharing Jesus with others. So make Jesus known, take the first step, and just start sharing Jesus with others. You see, on this third day, when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, it's not a general statement, it's it's a specific one. And now Andrew says, I've got family here. And if John is telling me that's Jesus, and he goes and says to Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Andrew's first reaction is, I'm, how can I go and not take my brother? And the very first thing, he becomes an instant witness. He doesn't have a four-year college degree. He hasn't been to small group and done Alpha or Christianity Explored. All he knows is, I found Jesus. And whoever else wants him needs to know he can be found. Where are the Christians in St. John's that are more concerned or more excited to simply tell other people, I found Jesus. And don't ask me how because I'm an idiot, but he found me. And all I want you to know is I'll take you to him. And it's as simple as that. Where are the Christians that will just be excited? And I love this. So John, Andrew goes to his brother and goes, you know, Peter, listen, I went to an eight-week study and I studied from Genesis to Revelation and I put it all together And I think I've come up with a real logical dissertation here for you to try and convince you to follow me as I go find this dude. He just goes, listen, I found the Messiah. That's his full stent of his testimony. I found the Messiah. And we're going to go talk with him. He said we can come. We can go and talk with him. Christians, truth is not afraid of a question. Don't share, don't not share the gospel because you're afraid someone's going to ask you an impossible question. They will. Because every human being is different. 
And how God answers your questions will be different than how He answers somebody else. What you can do is say, listen, come with me and we'll go to the man who has all the answers. You see, if you try to witness under the premise that you have all the answers, you are setting yourself up for failure because you're not God. And you will screw up. Be more concerned with showing people Jesus. Share people with Jesus. There's something here practical for everybody this morning. When friends or family are hurting, and everybody in here has someone that is, you all have a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, a a grandmother, a grandfather. I had someone call me this week in my family that I haven't heard from in literally years who Facebooked me and said, I need you to pray. Mom and dad have lost three people in six days to death. What do you do? Except, I will pray. As we were looking about this building, I talked to a real estate agent this past week and I was asking about facilities around the city and I was telling him how it was for our church and that God was working and I was praying and I said, you know, I've been praying for you and he said, you pray, right? He said, you're not just saying that, you actually do it. And I said, no, no, I really do, I pray. He says, can I ask you to pray for my daughter? I said, sure. Yeah, she's 42 with three kids and she has terminal cancer. She's gonna die in about three months. He said, I stopped praying a long time ago, but if you still pray, would you pray? I didn't get into him about the nuances of prayer. I just said, you better believe it, I'll pray. And listen, I'm going to pray for you too. And if you want to go for coffee or you want to hang out sometime, I'm here. Guys, it's just share Jesus with others. He told that John the Baptist just told these guys about Jesus. He went right at it. And that's what you and I need to know. And that's what you and I need to do. And then finally, look at it, being known by Jesus. Because when Andrew goes to Peter and says, come with me, Peter goes, and I love this, Peter goes and Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are Simon, the son of this, but from now on, you'll be this. And as you come to the end of this amazing little interplay, Andrew and John are actually going to spend time with Jesus. But he says, i got to get my brother and don't miss this church. A disciple is one who is with Jesus. You're with him. And this reminds me of so many things. Remember on that first Easter day when Jesus rises from the dead and the disciples embarked on this new form of, of, of existence? And what did they do? They instantly had to share it with others. And Peter is the one that is sent for in both accounts. When, when Jesus is first discovered here in John 1, the first human being that someone goes to is Peter. When Jesus rises from the dead and other humans see him, the first one they go to is Peter. And you'll see all these little parallels. And this is what happens because Jesus says, you're going to be now Cephas, Peter. And when you go to Matthew 18, you realize that was an important name. Because he says, your name is Peter on this rock. And he says, Peter, I'm going to use you. I'm going to give you not only a new name, but a new identity and a new task. And so John, the apostle, becomes a disciple whom Jesus loves. And Andrew becomes the witness used to bring Peter. And Peter becomes, well, Peter. (laughs) And see, what I want you to realize, there's nothing better than being known by Christ. There's just nothing better. 
than being known by Christ. And it doesn't matter. Jesus knows your needs, your secrets, your faults, your sin, your flaws, your junk, your pride, your depression, your selfishness, your selflessness, your overestimation of yourself or your underestimation of yourself. But He loves you and He bids you come and see. And so as I conclude this morning, I want to ask you if you've seen what John is doing here. John is writing about Jesus, God in the flesh. Remember our video, Strangers, These Connections? So John is writing about Jesus, God in the flesh, who transformed John the Baptist from the womb, who shaped him as a voice, And that voice would reach the ears of John and Andrew the Apostle, fishermen, Galileans, hard, rough, rugged, yet loyal and sensitive, willing to admit there was something wrong inside of them, not just with the world around them. They listened and responded to what they heard. John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus. His greatest act of love and friendship wasn't to hoard them to themselves. The kingdom wasn't a competition for John the Baptist. Jesus being glorified was... And John the Baptist knew best that Jesus has more, is more, and does more, and is more than than anything. And then John and Andrew went after Jesus. They took those steps to pursue him. And then Andrew goes and gets Peter. And Jesus says, come and see. Remember that old hymn? O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Have you ever considered how many times the Bible tells you to come, to ask, to search, to knock, to pray? Jesus is not afraid of your questions. He's not intimidated by your hurts. He's not put off by your failures. He's not grossed out by your sinful condition. Listen, He came to pay for those things. The Bible tells us that if we're weary and tired, to come. If you're thirsty, drink. If you're hungry, eat. If you're ashamed or guilty, confess and be forgiven. If you're weak, come and find strength. How much clearer can I make it then? We all need Jesus. But let me also caution you as I close this morning. A friend of mine, Owen Strachan, that I'll see in April, he said this week in a tweet, we like the truth when it serves us. We don't like it when the truth tells us we are wrong. Don't come to Jesus like you're negotiating a partnership. Tim Keller says, what keeps people from receiving God's grace is not so much their sins, but their good works often as we think we're good enough. You see, John the Baptist told the morally good and the morally depraved to behold the Lamb of God. Andrew, John, and Peter, they're not drug lords or pimps. They're not the morally depraved. They're hardworking, good family men. Yet they knew, as I said earlier, that God came to save them from their sin and their good. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus in relationship, I'm begging you, don't leave before you come and ask how to know Him. I don't want to tell you how to live. I just want to introduce you to my Savior. That's all I want to do. And Christians, don't forget what Andrew does. 
He goes to get Peter, his brother, and he invites, explains, pleads, and draws all at the same time. And little did Andrew know that what Peter would become. Andrew would always live in the shadow of his brother and he didn't care. Because we know Peter's story, don't we? John the Baptist, the one who would say he must increase and I must decrease. At the end of his story, he would die alone, beheaded at the request of a young lady who impressed a sinful, drunk human king. Andrew, who lived in the shadow of his older brother, didn't care because he lived in the shelter of the cleft of the rock, Jesus. In fact, if you read about Andrew's life, in Fox's book of martyrs, John Fox tells us that Andrew traveled as far as southern Russia and to Greece. And I love what Fox tells us about Andrew. Andrew's witness was used by God to see a high-ranking Roman official's wife get saved. When she got saved, her husband blew a gasket and he threatened to kill Andrew by crucifixion. And this was Andrew's reply. Had I feared the death of the, of the cross, I should have not preached the majesty and gloriousness of Christ. You see, when you meet real Christians, they'll just bug the snot out of you because you can't take the wind out of their sails. If you threaten them with death, they go, okay, I get to be with Jesus. If you leave them alone or you jail them, they go, okay, now I've got a captive audience to tell about Jesus. Like real Christians are just annoying. John was arrested and tortured and by the power of the Holy Spirit he remained faithful and the judge pleaded with him not to cast aside his life and John Fox tells us that Andrew pleaded with the judge not to cast aside his soul. <laughs> Peter who would struggle with his mouth, his personality and his pride and his motives would be so transformed by his Savior that he counted death more, the de death more worthy than ever denying Jesus. In fact, when he was tortured and crucified, he did do what Jesus said, and he requested to be hung upside down because he didn't want to be hung in the way his Savior died for. So here's my questions. Each one of us here is a testimony and a witness. If you claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, here's my thing, will you be? What is your testimony? What is your witness? And this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in him and trust him, then will you join me in saying this? Because I'm united to Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm dead to sin. I'm holy and righteous in God's sight. I'm loved, adopted, washed, alive, and free. Amen? Amen. Amen. I got Mary and John here now. That's pretty good. Listen, Charles Spurgeon said, you cannot have Christ if you will not serve him. So church, go and be a testimony. And I'll go another step and say you cannot know Christ and not want to share Him. So go and be witnesses today because Christ is enough. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank You for this opportunity to share from Your Word. And Lord, I pray for my own family members, biologically my family, that is Calvary Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for our friends and visitors. Lord, I look out on this audience and I look into the faces of people that I have known some for most of my life. I love them. I pray for them. But Lord, I could never love them the way you do. And I could never plead for them the way your son intercedes for them. And so, Lord, if there's even one person here this morning that doesn't know, do I have a relationship with Jesus? I pray that they will feel safe and free to come and talk to somebody.
I pray for us as Christians that we'll stop acting and pretending. And to be honest about where we're at. Lord, I just pray that you will go before us, that you will drive us to be testimonies and witnesses, not out of a sense of some weird obligation, not out of a sense of some program or some gimmick, but Lord, we have met you and we're overwhelmed by you and we can't help but share you with others. And Lord, some will laugh and some will disagree. But what is that in the face of being blown away by your grace? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us all, I pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.